0: All right, we are in Colossians chapter one, and I just realized I made a horrible mistake. I forgot my glasses, so um, that will be tricky. April has glasses, but they look really funny, but that's okay, so. I had these great contacts where I could read. I couldn't see anything else, but I could read, and it was worth it. i just look out and everybody was blurry, but I could read, so I asked the eye doctor to just tweak it a little bit. Now I can't read anymore, so, Uh, but I can see you guys, so that's that's a plus. Um, All right, Um, we're gonna take the first, we're gonna read down through verse uh, 15. Um, The book of Colossians begins, as we saw last week, with the typical introduction, but I think it's an important uh, introduction. And then Paul goes into a thanksgiving where he offers up thanks to God for them and then he offers up a prayer for them and it's a beautiful prayer, we'll get to that next week. And then he begins talking about the supremacy of Jesus Christ. For those of you who haven't been in the introduction to Colossians in its briefest form, there's a heresy in the church the heresy in the church is really putting Christ at a much lower level than he should be. He is um, just one of many angelic beings. He is probably lower than most of them. He's kind of our initial contact point with God. You can go through all sorts of parts to this. And what Paul does is he says, no, we're going to look at Christ and we're going to exalt him. We're going to put him up as supreme. And we're going to show that to you that if you put Christ anywhere else, then your salvation uh, isn't based upon Jesus Christ because He has to be who He claims to be for our salvation to be a true salvation. So um, you'll see that even at the beginning, it's, it's written for error in the church, and yet Paul begins with a thanksgiving um, of things that he can be thankful to God about for them. So. Let's read that. By the way, just an interesting note from verse 3 all the way through verse 17, those of you who have your Bibles, pretty long section, that is one sentence in the Greek. I do not even understand that. I don't know what a sentence is like that goes on. I mean, that's several paragraphs in our Bible. So... Um, anyways Paul apparently was a big fan of run-on sentences we kind of know that so we're gonna read from one down through kind of the middle of that sentence verse 15 and it says these aren't helping much April that's uh, there's a weird uh, okay we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you since the days you heard it, the day you heard it, and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Okay. Um, We begin this with Paul saying that we we always thank God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. And then he enumerates the things that he's thankful for. Uh, Let's just Take a minute with that though, that first few verses. It says, we always thank God. That doesn't mean that he's always thanking God, but whenever he stops and prays for them, whenever Colossians is on their, his prayer list for that day, he's gonna start by thanking God. Um, he thanks God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Once again, even here, we're gonna lift Jesus up. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the one who creates all things. Jesus is preeminent. Um, Notice it says we. That's because the book is begun by St. Paul and Timothy. Um, Who is he thankful to? God the Father. He's thankful to God. Um, He's going to mention a number of things. Their faith, their hope, their love, the true belief in the gospel. But he's thankful to God for that. And that's a good reminder. Everything that we have. Everything that I would be thankful for in another person is a gift from God. Um, Obviously, if he could be saying, I'm thankful um, for you, that you are doing these things, or offering thanks to them that they're making things easy for him when he prays, let's say, but the thanks always goes to God. Um, Have you ever been thanked for something you didn't do? And what do you do when that happens you might just take it yeah great I did that good Uh, but most of the time we go wait I had nothing to do with it right this summer Esther gets a text from somebody in our church saying thank you for all of the time you've put in mentoring this other person and spending time with them and Esther reads the text and she goes I've never spent any time with that person ever and I, I I have no idea, I mean, I know the person, but I've never even really talked with. It turns out there's two Esther B's at our church. Did you know that? And somebody had sent a wrong text to Esther. So what does she do? She sends back a text that says, "I, I think you got the wrong person. you can't take praise for something you didn't do. Paul is thanking God for all of this that the Colossian church is demonstrating which means that God is the one who is properly thanked for that. When you look at your life, when you look at somebody else's life, the work that's taking place is God's work in us. We have a part in it, obviously we can enhance it or make it um, go more, but, but God is the one who's responsible. Let me ask a question, just a little side note. When you pray for people, they're on your prayer list, do you start by thanking God for the good things that are happening in their lives? Maybe you do. I know for myself, if somebody's on my prayer list, it's because there's a problem, <laughs> right? And so I go right for the problem, you know? Um, we don't, I don't thank God for, in fact, I didn't even do it today. I didn't even model it here. We didn't pray about Josiah and thank God for the work that God's done in his life. We just sort of go right for the problem. But maybe it would be wise for us to remind ourselves that God is working in the people that we're praying for as well. So any comments on that before we go on? It's kind of interesting little um, thought there out of Colossians. Now, Paul now is going to enumerate what he's thankful for. It turns out he's thankful for two things. And then those things that he's thankful for, he gives a reason why they've taken place. So he's actually thankful for all of it. But it begins, it says, um, since we have heard of your faith, we always thank God, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope uh, laid up for you in heaven, of uh, this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. Um, I had to outline this to get this. So Paul says, uh, we thank God I'm gonna leave off some of the other stuff, but we thank God. Um, next it says, oh man, I have, it, I have it written here. And you know what, April, I think I'm gonna be okay without my, it's, it's actually probably easier without those. I think I'll be able to do it. If I need them back, I'll take them. He says, we thank God since we have heard of Your faith in Christ Jesus. Of your love for all the saints. Okay, so that's what he's thankful for. The next thing is a reason why they have those. Because it says, because. In other words, these two things come because of the hope laid up in heaven. Um, And then uh, the translation's a little hard in the ESV, but really the implication is this hope, which was laid up in heaven, um, there's another translation says, which you heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. Since the day you heard and understand understood the grace of God in truth. So we have these because of the hope laid up for us in heaven, and we have the hope laid up for us in heaven. Um this pen is kind of dying, which you heard before in the word of truth. And then it specifies what that is, the gospel. And then he goes on to say, since the day you heard and understand, heard and understood uh, the grace of God in truth. Okay. Um, So when I was reading this passage, immediately I began to focus on these two. Then I realized that really what's happening is, this should say the hope, I left that out of there, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Really, these two stem from our hope laid up for us in heaven. But our hope laid up for us in heaven stems from the gospel, the truth, which we heard and understood. And then he specifies it's the grace of God. So, this is gonna seem a little odd out of this passage, but I wanna ask this question, and you guys can kinda help me with this. What is the gospel, the grace of God and truth that leads to our hope which produces these things? In other words, you kinda work this backwards, okay? So, somebody tell me the gospel. Because the gospel better lead to hope, right? What is the gospel? Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. Very good, that's the succinct summary of the gospel. Um, I have a couple of verses fit with that perfect. First Timothy 1.15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am the foremost, or the chief. Um, Luke 19.10, Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost. Matthew 1 she will or Mary will have a son and he will save his people from their sins that's the gospel um, by the way that that last one's kind of important um, oftentimes we think of being saved from hell and because of that the opposite is heaven but what we're actually saved from is not a destination it's words, our, our problem is not a Destination problem. Our problem is a sin problem, right? The problem isn't that we were going to hell. Therefore, the solution is that we get transferred to heaven. The problem is we had sin, and we need to be made righteous. Um, that's the problem, and that's the solution. All right. Anybody want to go deeper into salvation? Oh, the other one is oh, we'll get you a second. First Corinthians fifteen, where Paul says, "I delivered up to you what was." Uh, that which was a way we better read it because I'm going to mess this up. I can't quote that. 1 Corinthians 15 um, verse 3 I think. I can't read the little numbers but the rest of it I can read. Uh, For I delivered to you of first importance what I also received that Christ died for you for your sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And then he appeared and he lists all the people he appeared. So there's the gospel. Christ died, was buried, rose again. Go ahead. (laughs) Christ suffered for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God. Now we get a little deeper. Christ who is righteous suffers for those of us who are unrighteous to bring us to God. What else? Okay. Um, because the gospel gets deeper and deeper the more you think about it and the more you study. And um, my analogy is if you, if you s- summarize the gospel all the way down, that's the gospel. That's, that's, that is the gospel. Um, but you can summarize everything down really small. Uh, to its bare essence, but that doesn't give you its fullness at the same time. So if I asked you, what is the essence of the game of basketball? Just summarize it in a couple of sentences. Well, it's two teams with a round ball, trying to put them in the basket, and the one who has the most points at the end wins, right? But if you talk to somebody who knows basketball, basketball's a much fuller game than that. So what happens with the gospel, I think the more we understand the gospel, the more we begin to understand this hope that's laid up for us in heaven. So um, let me take you to a couple of, um, a couple of other passages. Um, well, one other passage, Romans chapter four, uh, three. Romans chapter three. And I think this is where Paul lays it out um, incredibly clear for us. Um, starts in verse 20 for by the works of the law no human will be justified in his sight since through the law came knowledge of sin now if nothing follows we're in trouble but if not something follows that's wonderful because I'm not need to work for my own salvation anymore but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. The gospel is that we will be made righteous. Sin will be taken away, but we will be righteous. We will have Christ's righteousness. Um, For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. There's the doctrine of grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, when God put whom God put forward as a propitiation um, uh, by His blood uh, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in His divine in forbearance He has passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ Jesus. Okay? So, go ahead, Rob.
1: When you look at living in righteousness, Paul, in Ephesians, builds back and he says, look at all the benefits of being in Christ Jesus. Look at the deep love of God for you. And the idea is, when you realize how great God is and how much he loves you, you can't help but want to be obedient and righteous before
0: him. You know? Yeah. And, and I think that's where we're, where we're going to here as well. I know it may seem like we've just gone off a little bit, but I, I, I wanted to, to hit that because th- this is where it all starts. We hear the word of truth, the gospel, but we have to know what the gospel is. Um, the, the gospel, it's not just hearing it, it's understanding the grace of God in our lives that should lead to a living hope, a hope that's laid up for us in heaven. The problem is if our hope is placed in the wrong thing, I don't think these two end up becoming manifest in our life. Um, so let's, let's talk about hope now because actually the New Testament talks a lot about hope. Um, remember when we're talking about hope here, it's not the word that we use in English, right? If I say um, I hope I get a good grade on the test, that would be a student. Um, I hope I get a promotion. I hope um, that there's no hail this, this uh, fall, or next spring I guess would be when the hail would be a problem. I hope there's no rain when the raisins are on the ground, how about that? Um, those things are just wishes, right? That's just something that I'm, I, we, we actually could say I wish that that would be true. We use the word hope. Hope in Scripture is not that, although it is used that way sometimes. Paul will say, I hope to visit you. He means the same thing we do. But hope is something which is already there. We just haven't received it yet. Hope is a confident expectation. Um, the other, yesterday, I was doing the worst job possible. I had to go under the house, and there had been a water leak, and I had to crawl through the mud I came out looking like a pig that had just gotten out of the... So I'm driving home. I actually uh, took my shirt off because it was so muddy that it was going to make... Anyways, so I'm driving home. I was hoping for a shower, (laughs) right? Was I going to get a shower? Yes, that's what you mean by hope. I've never yet had the shower. I've had once or twice where there was no hot water, which was very disappointing. But I've always gotten a shower because the water just flows. Somebody who has... Uh, inheritance coming at 30 years old they're going to receive from that trust fund 50 million dollars they are hoping for that 50 million but presumably that's a sure bet right what are we hoping for what are the things that we are guaranteed that we are looking for so let's look at some verses here Um, go to Romans chapter 5 since we're already in Romans And verse two, it says, you know what, I'm gonna borrow your glasses again. It's when I'm looking at one passage for a long time, but trying to shift back from looking at you guys to this is making my eyes hurt, so. All right, Romans chapter five, verse two. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of what? The glory of God so I don't have much room over here let me erase some of this we rejoice in the hope the hope of the glory of God okay it's like okay what does that mean that I get to see God's glory share in God's glory what does that mean but we hope in the glory of God um, go over to chapter um, 8 of Romans and verse 18 actually 18 through 23 says for I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed for us to us for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God for the creation was subjected to futility not willingly but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption, obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Um, there is a hope that all creation has, that we will be set free, and it will be set free from the corruption. That's our hope as well. We will be set free from the corruption. Um, <clears throat> verse 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly await for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. Our hope is redemption. Our hope is adoption as sons. Our hope is to see God's glory and to share in his glory. Go down to the end of the passage, verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Um, this idea of the hope of the glory of God is an interesting idea, but we are hoping to share in God's glory. We're hoping to enter into that glory. Um, and, and the way that we do that is to become united with Jesus Christ and become like Jesus Christ so a couple more verses in fact go back to John chapter 17 John 17 says nothing about hope but John 17 is where Jesus is praying his high priestly prayer and he is praying for his disciples and if we start at verse 20 he says I do not ask for these only the the 12 uh, disciples but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus is praying for unity between the the brothers, that at one point we will be totally, perfectly unified. And of course, that will happen when we're in heaven. That hope will be realized when we're in heaven, okay? Um, And then that we would also be united with him of the world. Do you, do you keep hearing that word glory come up? The idea of unity, of being one with Jesus Christ? Um, and, and it continues in the New Testament. So go to uh, 1 Corin- Corinthians, no, 1 uh, Corinthians, up oh, 2 Corinthians, excuse me. I knew I was gonna do that. 2 Corinthians, I have it written down wrong in my notes. 2 Corinthians 3. 7 through 11. Now if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what was once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Verse 12, since we have such a hope, we are very bold and talks about not like Moses and so on. Jump to the end because we're going to run out of time. Verse 18. And we all with unveiled faces, it talks about Moses unveiling his face and then veiling it again so they couldn't see the glory failing, fading. We all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. When is the transformation complete? When is... When we're in glory. What is that? When we're, in. when we're in glory. When we see him, and we will be like him because we will see him as he is. First uh, Peter, there's by the... Oh, oh, oh. I should mention Colossians. Look at uh, Colossians verse chapter 1, verse 27, Colossians 1, 27. You probably have heard this verse before that says, to them God chose to make great to the saints, make, great, uh, make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of this mystery which is Christ, which is Christ in you. What? The hope of glory. Um, we have a hope of glory. We have a hope of sharing in God's glory of being glory by being transformed. So we are exactly like Jesus Christ and, and sharing in his glory. We will be like him. So go over now to, um, oh, by the way, what is it said when Jesus is coming back? Jesus is the blessed hope. When Christ comes, that's the blessed hope. That's what we're hoping for. We're hoping to see Jesus. We're hoping to be like him. First Peter, uh, we're going to skip that. First Peter talks about it. We studied that a while back, but I'm going to run out of time. Um, go to 1 John chapter 3. Starting at verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is, and everyone who thus hopes in him justifies himself as he is pure. What happens is, I think for myself, I'm speaking to myself, is sometimes I forget what the goal is, right? Right? Tomorrow, in a few minutes, we'll be somewhere else. The ministry fair will start. Maybe you have responsibilities. You go to, to uh, Monday, work starts. Or for me, I go back to class. I've got kids that, you know, have to be dealt with. And I've got lessons to prepare. And life goes on, and I forget what the goal is. I forget what the gospel is. The gospel is that we will have our sin taken away and righteousness given to us. But our, the, the, the hope of the gospel is that that will be brought to perfect completion at some point, that you will be exactly like your savior. I was talking with Helen this week. Um, Helen, uh, for those of you who weren't here, is uh, nearing the end of her life. I went to visit her. She looks great. She doesn't look any different, but supposedly there's only a few weeks um, or months left. And I said, you don't look like you're dying. And she said, well, what's a dying person supposed to look like? <laughs> it's like, well, that's a Helen comment. And, um, um, but, but we were talking, and she is desirous of going home. And I told her, Helen, I'm jealous. I'm jealous. I mean, I want to be here to see my grandkids and the kids. I want to see all that, but what do I really want? What do you really want? It's to be done with this sin, right? It's to be done with all the corruption. It's to be done with the temptation that I give into. It's to be done with the conflict that arises where you say, why does it have to be this way? It's looking forward to that time when I am like Christ, where I share in his glory, where, where I become one with him and we are one with each other. That's what we're looking for. That's the blessed hope. But it all stems from the problem of sin, which leads to all of our problems. That sin has to be taken away, and his righteousness has to be infused in me. We know that's already happened, but we don't see it working out in practice, and that's what's coming, okay? So do you, do you see here now why these, this hope leads to this? Where else would we put our faith? What else would you be putting your faith in? Nothing else can guarantee that. Nothing else even promises it. Does anything else promise that you will be perfect like Jesus Christ? There's nowhere else to put our faith. There's nothing else that even comes close. You can put your faith in money. You can put your faith in people. You can put your faith in government, although that would be pretty foolish. But you can put your faith in all sorts of things, What? we don't we don't really trust that any of it will be there or be permanent we can put our faith in people and people let us down and even if we had someone who doesn't let us down that person cannot give us the hope that we have this hope leads to us clinging to Jesus Christ in a way that uh, people will not be able to understand we understand why it's going to lead to love for all the saints why do we love the saints because jesus loves the saints right well he told us to which is a great reason but but he told us to and he demonstrated it for us he laid down his life for the the saints the 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 love for the church the love for the brothers flows from jesus christ when we are trying to be like him when we say this is my goal that's gonna flow naturally. And it's not gonna flow as something that I'd better do, it's gonna flow because that's who I want to be. I wanna be like my savior, I wanna be like Jesus Christ. Um, Paul is thankful that those things are there. Um, he's also thankful, if you read through, um, as we read, it kind of got long there, it's a lot of, lot of thoughts. But he's thankful, in verse six, Um, that this gospel has gone into the whole world, is bearing fruit, and is growing in their life and throughout the world, the gospel is growing. As you walk with the Lord, these things will grow, right? Your faith will grow and your love will grow. You will be being transformed from one degree of glory to another. Uh, You should have more faith in Christ now than you had five years ago because you've walked with him longer and you've seen him work you should have more love for the fellow uh, for the saints now than you did before but none of us are going to have it perfect right none of us arrive until we actually reach that point so uh, Paul is actually I think he's thankful for this but he's thankful for the gospel the gospel of grace the gospel of truth that leads to our hope which leads us then to live lives of faith and love and service. So um, that's the introductory passage. I should mention because he's in here and it's kind of sad that I didn't even mention him. He mentions Epaphras. Epaphras is this uh, servant of God. They think he may have started the Colossian church. He is the go-between. He's the one who brought the Colossians the gospel, probably. And it says, I think it says that you received it from him. Um, yeah, just as you learned it from Epaphras. So Epaphras brought it to them. Now it's growing. Epaphras takes it back and explains it to Paul. And so Epaphras is right in the middle. He's, he's the one who was privileged to bring them the gospel. He's the one who's privileged to report back to Paul on the gospel. But it's all from the gospel. And it's all from that incredible work that God does. And you know, I thought about some of the other religions And I thought about some of our images of heaven, right? What's the typical image of heaven? It's leisure, right? Sitting on a cloud, playing a harp. It's a big family reunion, um, which would sort of go to love for the saints, okay? But it's a big family reunion, all the people that have died, um, that have gone before us. if you're Muslim, it's 72 virgins. and I assume if you're a guy, I don't know what you get if you're a girl, but 72 virgins and all of the pleasures of the flesh, right? Um, you, you, all of those pictures are good, but they leave out the main point, the glory of God, that we will be made like Jesus Christ. Take that out and heaven becomes something that you can wait for, right? Now, we all have to wait for it because God decides when we go. But we should all want to be there because that's what we were made for, was to share in Christ's glory and to be with him like we were at the beginning in perfect fellowship and harmony. Any comments before we, before we end? Rod and Kirk.
1: Ephesians again, Paul points out that God did all of this for us because he wants us with him. I mean that his love is so great that he's paid a penalty for our sin so that we can be in his presence righteous in his presence and then again in Ephesians he says your hope has been sealed with the Holy Spirit because you have the Holy Spirit that's my assurance to you that you'll receive your hope
0: very good Gertrude
1: I was just thinking about the hymn that starts my hope is built on nothing less in Jesus blood and righteousness.
0: Yes, which is an exact, taken directly from Hebrews. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Our hope lies entirely in Him. I was even thinking, since you mentioned songs, the old song, um, I Love to Tell the Story. Some of you are too young to know that song. David knows it. He could sing it right now. <laughs> I Love to Tell the Story. It's talking about the gospel. And one of the verses says, I love to tell the story for those who know it best seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest and then the end of it says and when in scenes of glory I sing the old old song that the new new song twill be the old old story that I have loved so long this this is the gospel this is our entire hope and future so Kirk Yes. And so basically the problem we we started out united
1: and then sin entered the world and corrupts. And so Jesus has always been the plan. And Jesus is the plan. Jesus is the way. You know. So everything, the process, everything is through him, through his glory, you know. So yeah. it's it's a unified plan. It's not like a you know patchwork and it's all done from the beginning. Um for his glory, to his glory, and through his glory, you know, so
0: yeah. Yeah. And then if you think about kind of the overview of Colossians, take Jesus out of this. What, what hope do they have laid up for them in heaven? See, the hope is gone if, if Jesus isn't where we're placing our faith in. There would be no faith. Love would be just ha- ha- the typical love that you would have for people close to you and your family. It all falls apart when you pull Christ out of that. So, all right, let's close in prayer.